0: welcome to another bonus podcast my name is Thalia I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Northview and I'm with my friend Crystal hello a lot of people get our voices mixed up so it might be a little confusing today
1: (laughs) just the two of us you'll have to figure out who's talking
0: This is our last live recording before summer really hits. Mm -hmm. We are going to have different plans for the summer. We're doing that because Crystal is starting two courses at Regent College on Hebrew, the language of Hebrew. I'm feeling very sorry for her.
1: Actually, I was feeling sorry for myself, but the more I have got into it, I'm actually kind of intrigued. So I've learned the consonants and the vowels, and I'm learning some of the different grammar pieces, and it's actually starting to make sense as I go slowly through it so okay. I'm
0: kind of feeling like this could be a good challenge so when you think so. of Crystal this summer pray for her yeah. I think you start like July 3rd yeah right and it goes till August 17th 18th actually I found out today. oh 18th yes. okay so, but yeah eight thirty till 1 Monday to Thursday yeah That means Friday you technically have off, but not really because you have homework and you have to get women's ministry organized for the fall.
1: Yeah. So I'm hoping to do a few hours in the office on Fridays. Mm -hmm. I think it'll be a good brain break, too, just to have something different to think about.
0: Oh, it'll be a good brain break. And we might have to have a Tim Hortons day. Yeah, I think think so. Yes, it's 150 years for Canada and Tim Hortons is having roll up the rim. So are they? Yeah.
1: Oh, I didn't realize that. Yes. All through the summer, or when? no?
0: Just for a couple of weeks. Okay. So this
1: is day More two. Chances <laughs> to win.
0: I, I will go there with Jessica at lunchtime. I know. I, I went said there I take today her out for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I haven't won anything yet. This is only my second Tim Hortons roll up the rim, but. You can probably be guaranteed that I will be going through for two weeks. Well, you do anyways, <laughs> so there's no reason. Every
1: day she comes in, the Tim Hortons is on desk. I know.
0: I know. It's true. It is a bit of an addiction. Oh, well. But
1: I, people know what to get you for Christmas and Mother's Day. They just true. buy you Tim Hortons cards. They do. Yeah. It's
0: really like the best. That and then I, I get to benefit because you right. say, it's okay, I have a card. I do.
1: <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I get all sure. kinds of free coffee.
0: <laughs> it's a good perk of working here. I know. It's true. <laughs> This summer, I'm working on a course on biblical counseling. Mm -hmm. It's from IBCD, Institute of Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. And our whole care department, Paul, Vic, and myself, are doing this course. It's level one. And we are doing 15 hours. Level one is 15 hours of video, and it has handouts to go with it. And we're trying to assess whether this kind of biblical counseling is the direction we want to go ourselves, and then we want to train up people in our church.
1: Yeah, and you've so, been really intrigued with oh it. Oh, my you keeps, goodness. Thalia keeps pressing pause and saying, Crystal, you've <laughs> got to hear this part. And then she gives me the little quote from the last few minutes. Oh,
0: it is an absolute highlight so far. I'm only at hour five, and I love it. We're going away this July weekend and I'm so sad that I can't take it with me because it would look just terrible if I had my headphones on and my laptop open and I was watching these videos and scribbling notes like crazy. No, you have to be present with the family at the family holiday. I know. And that's good. But this is so exciting that I would just like to put everything else aside and do this. Well, it's great that you can do that over the summer when things slow down for you a bit. I know. Because not a lot of people come in over summer, right? No. Because, of course, the weather is usually better and people are off on holidays. And so no one wants to talk about muck in the summer. (laughs) They want to pretend it's not there. (laughs) Well, of course. In September, when the weather turns and school's back, then the floodgates open and people come flying in. Yeah. But in summer, mostly people only come when it's critical.
1: That's good that they can. Yeah. That you're still around. You guys are all deciding who's here which day. So there's always yes. somebody, right?
0: Always somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, we have Paul now. He has been approved from our annual general meeting. He is now a full time care pastor. Yep. Well, prayer and care. Actually, he's still keeping that prayer side. So that's good. We're really thankful to have him. And Vic's hours are decreasing a little bit. So it's funny. People were mourning that already. Oh, Vic's not going to be here as much. I'm like, don't worry. Vic will be where Vic wants to be. He will be in the hospitals and the care homes. He will be out for coffee. You will will not feel it. He will be where you want him to be. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's a hummingbird, that one. He's all over the place caring for people. I love it. Yeah, it's just this natural bent. Natural bent. Yeah. So we are continuing our series in Proverbs. It's called Wise Up here at Northview. And Northview meaning all three campuses, Mission Campus, our tri Church, which is starting in September and here in Abbotsford. Uh, we are wanting to focus on a proverb today from 22, verse 6. Chapter 22, verse 6. Yep. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So although it's a parenting proverb, do not tune out if you're not a parent, because we're going to apply this much wider and broader than simply parenting. But we want to start there. And I think you'll catch it as we go along. Yeah. Once we explain the basic image and the
1: ideas, we'll say Mm -hmm. how that applies then in our friendships and in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and all that kind of thing as well.
0: So, Crystal, could you just briefly remind us all about Proverbs, the genre that it is?
1: Yeah, so Proverbs is a, like, it's called wisdom literature, and there's a bunch of different books within the Bible that fall under that term. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, um, Psalms are kind of put under that as well, sometimes. And it's basically uh, people's experiences in the world, how they actually interact with the world and how, as a Christian, uh, we should interact differently. And so the Proverbs have um, just general truths about how the world works and how pe- what works well for human flourishing within the world. And the basic underlying or overarching principle is that fear of the Lord is the basic kind of thing that's going to make life go well for you. Yeah. Um, but then there's just lots of instruction in Proverbs on how uh, you can live in a way that honors God in the world and is going to go well for you. Now, they're not promises. Yeah, There's nothing in the world that is guaranteed because we live in a world that's fallen. where yes. there's going to be, there's Satan in the world, there's sin in the world, there's people that are going to thwart kind of God's ideal. But in general, if we follow the Proverbs, we're going to live in a way that honors God and honors other people. And so mm-hmm. that's what Proverbs is trying to teach us how to do.
0: So Christian parents fall into a trap here. Where we take this proverb and we think it's a promise and we say, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And we think, great, I have brought them to church and I have put them in youth groups and day camps and summer camps. And I have, you know, done that daily bread devotional around the table. And I have and I have and I have all those kinds of things. And then they will remain Christians. They will be Christians and remain Christians. And that is the promise. Yeah. And we would love that in yeah. all of our
1: lives if there was formulas. If yes. we could say, I did this for God, so God has to do this for me. Yes. And that is the way we would love to have things. But yes. the problem is, it doesn't happen that way. And the problem is, we actually don't deserve the grace that God's given us. No. He has given us way more than we actually deserve, but we sometimes... Our, our scales get a little bit twisted and off kilter. And we think that God actually owes us something. Yes. God does not owe us anything. He's no. given us his son. He's given us a relationship with him. He's given us all kinds of uh, w- ways that we can live um, with eternity that we don't deserve. And yeah. so we need to realize that, yeah, in the middle of this world that we're walking through with God, we don't necessarily deserve all the great things he's given us. And he's no. not going to promise us eternal future or eternal joy on this earth, yeah. but he does have it for the future.
0: Well, and the challenge is that Christians who are parents, they sometimes only want to have kids if those kids will be guaranteed to be Christians, because it's heartbreaking to think (sighs) that they won't be in heaven. Yeah. So I've had parents say to me, I don't want to have kids biologically or adopted or foster if I know they're not going to turn out to be Christians.
1: I know. But we take risks in every relationship yeah. that we engage in. Every yeah. time we love somebody, we yeah. don't know where that relationship is going to go. And yeah. that's the nature of relationship.
0: Yeah. So we also know that many Christian parents do their very best and kids walk their own direction. Yeah. They rebel and they don't follow God. Yeah. And we also know there are parents who have nothing to do with God and yet their kids <laughs> the kid becomes, becomes a Christian. Christian. Oh. Yeah. So we need to keep all those things in mind as we go through this. Yeah. Now, if you would take this proverb, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. If you would take this to just general parents out there, you're at the soccer field, you're a martial arts, dance, wherever, and you just tell them, what does this mean? What would they say when it says the way he or she should go? What does that mean culturally to a lot of people, do you think?
1: Um, what lines up with their gifting and their interests? Um, what will be best for them in terms of the f- their financial future, their stability, and um, Kind of the way maybe this is the family tradition, so yeah. they should follow in the family footsteps. Yes. My, I was a doctor. My, grandpa,
0: my dad was a doctor. He should be a doctor. Yes. Like there's kind of ideas of tradition that are part of that. Yeah. A lot of parents want their kids to be happy. Yeah. And so the way uh, your child should go is the way that makes them happiest. Mm-hmm. So if they choose a certain profession, if they choose a certain sport or a talent and they want to go that direction, Great or a gender that's mm-hmm. the latest one yes <laughs> whatever makes them feel like they're most themselves yes whatever lifestyle they choose yeah. and where they choose to live and follow that through that is where we should train them so that when uh, sorry uh, that's the way they, they should, should go, go. yeah mm-hmm. so it's different biblically we know that training a child in the way she, they should go means something different what yeah. does that mean um, I thought it was
1: great how Matt explained it when he preached on this. It's just basically in the way of Jesus. In John fourteen six. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. He is the way we should go. So following in his footsteps is what our life should look like. Yeah. And so that gives us a picture of what we're training our kids to do. What we're training ourselves to do is yeah. follow in the footsteps of Jesus and the way he lived his life, the way he interacted with people, the way he depended upon God and was submissive to God, mm-hmm.
0: all those pieces, his priorities. Um, That's the way that they should go. Yeah. So we're not training them according to a book or a philosophy or an ideology. We're training them up to follow a person. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's a different mindset. Totally is. And when we're Christians. So there, uh, he talked about um, an analogy to do with smallpox, this disease. Yeah. And he said that uh, smallpox, of course, we are clear on the problem that smallpox was deadly. I can't remember the years he talked about. There was a certain
1: 10-year window that he was mentioning in which smallpox was eradicated from the Earth. Mm-hmm. And it was during that 10-year window they said, "We, this is our goal is to get rid of this disease. We understand exactly the problem. We understand the solution, which is this is vaccine. The only thing stopping us from kind of getting to that solution is enough money and people to actually go into every single remote village and eradicate it, give every, everyone in the vaccine. And the world was united on this issue that this is a problem, this is a solution, and people got behind it. In ten years, they were able to eradicate it. And yeah. so he kind of then brought that example to if we have if we understand the right problem for our kids, for our kids, and the solution for it, we'll yeah. be more focused on how we deal with it. Yeah. We'll actually bring the right solutions to the to the table.
0: Yeah. So the key problem that he brought up is an issue of <clears throat> the heart. We don't often think of that. We think of all kinds of other issues that we'll get into in a moment. But he said, the problem we have to be clear on as Christians is that we all have a problem of the heart. It's right in our very core, our motivations, our desires, our intentions, our heart. So let's talk about that, Crystal. What is wrong with our heart? Well, when you say that, it just brings up the
1: passage in Genesis 6, I think, where it's the story of Moses, and it talks about God looking down upon the world. And he said, every, the thoughts of man's hearts are always evil, continuously, all the time. Yeah. Genesis 6, 5, if yeah. you're wondering. Yeah, And so the basic condition of humankind was kind of described right there at the beginning of the Bible, that yeah. our hearts are bent towards evil, yeah. we're bent towards sin, and that's continuously
0: something that we're struggling against. Yeah.
1: And it's something that's part of our human nature. Yeah. Jeremiah 17,
0: 9 and 10 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And when I meet with parents to talk about a heart issue, when I read Genesis 6, 5, and then Jeremiah, they are reminded that this heart issue is from the beginning of time. This is not a new problem. No. This is actually a serious issue that we all have as sinners in this fallen world. We have a sinful nature because of what Adam and Eve did. Yeah. So the problem is the heart. The problem is our hearts are sinful. Our hearts are against God. Our hearts are selfish. They want their own way. Yeah. And let's take a minute to think of kind of what we
1: see as the problem in culture. Yes. In in contrast to that, because I think the story of Noah and the ark shows us that um, basically the world was wiped out and Noah and his family survived but that didn't stop the problem of sin Mm -hmm. we didn't get rid of all the people who are angry and sinning and then everyone was perfect after that because right after Noah gets back from the flood and they get on dry land there's sin that happens in the family and sin is perpetuated and it continues on so sin came with them on the ark yeah it went
0: in their hearts before the ark it went with Noah's family On on the the ark, in their hearts, they were still had sinful hearts. They get off the ark, there's still sinful hearts that now become multitudes of people. Yeah, and so people will say today,
1: you'll hear in the news, if you listen to the news, or you hear your parents or your friends talk about things, and they'll say, well, if people were just educated enough, then Mm -hmm. these things wouldn't happen. If people just had, if there was no poverty, if Mm -hmm. poverty around the world is eradicated, then there would be none of these issues, there would be no theft or no whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we look to all these things. If governments were just better, there yep. would be a solution. Yep. And there's all these things we look to for answers worldwide for the problem. But the problem is actually the fact that our hearts are sinful yeah. and that we, no matter how much money we have, we crave
0: more money. No matter how much fame we have, we crave more fame. No ma- you know? So this is a problem I see when parents come to meet with me about issues in their kids' lives. So let's say a child is playing too many video games. What do they see is the problem? Well, they see the problem is the video games and the fact that they're on their device too much. So if I just turn off Wi-Fi or I somehow can get away camping where we're away from our device, it will solve the problem. Or if my child is struggling with pornography, if I can do all those things, take away the laptop, take away the device, put in the filters, if I can just solve the external problems, we'll be good. Yeah, They want to live on acreage. They want to homeschool. They want to decide who their friends can be. They want to put them in all of the right things, all the right programs, whether it's a WANA or youth group. They want to shelter them because then it will solve all the problems. Yeah, And some
1: of those things might be really good solutions mm-hmm. or they might help. Minimize a problem or kind of keep some of the temptation at bay, but they're not going to actually solve it if the kid is
0: bent on something. So then, when I tell the parents that you can't solve the problem of the heart, if a heart is bent towards sin, towards being selfish and pursuing pornography or video games or drinking or all kinds of things we shouldn't do, if the heart is bent towards that, the heart will find a way. And they are just. Hurt and destroyed, and they wilt in the chair, and they go, "What do I do yeah. then?" Because then they feel powerless. Feel powerless because yeah. we want to put all these solutions in place, which are good, yeah, and we need to do that, yeah. like you said, we need to be practical. But it yeah. does not go right to the root of the issue, which is the heart, yeah. And so when we talk about the heart change, I always talk about Ezekiel 36. And if you read verse 25 and following, it talks about the solution. And you read that there's so many eyes and it means I, the Lord, and I, the Lord, changes the heart of stone to a heart of flesh. I, the Lord, will solve the uncleannesses and I'll put a new spirit within you. And I'll write my law upon your hearts. Oh, yeah, yeah. The solution is Jesus Christ. Yeah. The solution is a new heart. The solution is a heart that is willing to follow Him, willing to obey Him, willing to confess and repent of sin, willing to lay down the selfishness and pursue right living. And that's something only God can do. Yeah, God changes the hearts. We can't actually change the hearts. Yeah, And that makes us feel powerless.
1: Yeah. But instead of us being stuck in that pity or powerless feeling, I think what it should do is it should... It should make us pray. Every time we worry about it, then we should say, well, I can't do this, but God can. So it should push us out of that feeling of powerlessness into an attitude of prayer and realizing the importance it is for us to be on our knees or whatever, on our couch, praying for our kids every day.
0: And your prayer should actually be something like, Lord, could you change the heart of my child? Could you make them... Uh, want to love you more, want to serve you, want to follow after you. Yeah, The other problems are like secondary. All yeah. the other things are important to think about, but the core is the
1: heart. Yeah. And if you read all of like Paul's prayers in the New Testament for the churches, he's always praying for those kind of things. Yeah. So read the prayers in Ephesians and Colossians. He's, he's praying for the heart of the congregants that he's yeah. working with. It's not. He's not praying for problem solving or no. for anything to be taken away. He's praying that their hearts would be fully in tune with God. Yeah. And so even if your child is not rebellious, like even if they have a, a warm heart towards God, keep praying yes. that that'll continue. Yes. Because that's how God's going to continue to be. Real and alive in their lives.
0: And if your child looks good on the surface, which would have been me in my high school years, I did all the right external things that a parent would be proud of. Yeah. Great grades, involved in church, I had great friends, I did all the right things. I didn't get drunk, I wasn't sleeping with my boyfriend. I, all those right things, you can list, I did all the right things. But inside, my heart was cold. It it didn't have a heart for God. It just had a heart to obey my parents because I didn't want to get in trouble (laughs) or my teachers or whatever. I didn't want to get in trouble. So, but the heart was cold. The heart wasn't loving God and following after him. And the heart would sneakily, my heart would sneakily disobey in ways that maybe I wouldn't get found out. So Hmm. I would tell my parents, you know, uh, I would become late from being with a boyfriend. And uh, I would just say, well, there was traffic. Well, Well, there wasn't. I just chose not to come home when I should come home and they believed me because I was a good kid so the heart was the issue even though the surface looked really good so parents if your kid looks really great still pray for the heart you don't know where the heart is at necessarily yeah depends on what they're willing to divulge to you and if their heart is warm like Crystal said keep praying because we still have a long life ahead of us and until (laughs) their last breath is done you cannot stop praying for the heart I don't care how old your kid is whether they're 40, 50, 60 still be praying for the heart yeah yeah So Matt used this great image of a campfire, and he said that we are called to prepare the hearts and minds of our kids, that God supplies the spark or the fire for the campfire, the the flame. We cannot do that. God has to provide the fire, but we are called to prepare the wood. And it made me think of back when I was a kid and then when I was a camp counselor at Camp Squia, just outside of Hope. Mm-hmm. Every year we had to take this course called bushcraft. The yeah. most boring class ever <laughs> invented. For <you> especially. <laughs> oh goodness, I hate camping. And I hated having to learn how to make a fire in the, tindling, the, kinder, the kindling. Ah, kindling and the tinder yeah. and stacking the wood, either the log cabin or the teepee or the whatever. I yeah. had to learn to put a tent out with, we were always given just a big sheet of plastic and rope you had to tie them between trees and make this, you know, tent, yeah. blah blah blah, shelter, yeah. yeah. until I was a cabin leader when I was 18, 19 and 20, I served at camp in the summers as a cabin leader for over 7 girls. And all of a sudden this bushcraft was the best class because oh my goodness, I'm in charge of the fire and I'm in charge of the to do <laughs> totally. Yeah. And if we don't have a fire, we are not going to have food. Yeah. So I quickly learned that this class is really important and I learned to make a good campfire. Now my the guy cabin leaders were always cheating. They'd bring along hairspray or bug spray and they gasoline. <laughs> yeah. Just and they would it. spray it at yeah. the fire and they whoosh, you know, all of a sudden, you have this huge fire. But no, I do it the right way because I <laughs> follow the I rules. Follow the rules. But I learned to make a good fire. And so, this campfire image caught my attention when he said it, and I, I was think immediately it caught a lot transported. Of people's attention, it did it was such a good image. Yeah. yeah, even my kids, and we're not major campers, but yeah. we do go places and make fires, and they <laughs> caught this. So, what does it look like to prepare the hearts and minds of our kids? He said we have a responsibility to do that, and so I started thinking, huh? He listed four. We'll, I'll list them when we can talk about them. He said four ways. And there are more than this. It's yeah. not an exhaustive. Li- uh, this is not an exhaustive list. The first one is we need to be careful not to assume that our children believe. Yeah, And nope. so that
1: was kind of you sharing your own story. Right? Yeah. Your parents could have assumed based on your external that you were a good Christian girl that with a heart oh, they that did. loved God. Yeah. yeah, they did. Yeah. So we need to just not that we have to be freaky about it, but we have to keep praying and and talking about God and bringing him into conversations and encouraging people, not assuming that they
0: know and yeah. that they love him. And asking them, what do you believe? Yeah. What are you learning at church? What are you learning at youth group? And what does your what are the messages you're hearing at school versus this? And which way do you want to go? And what's best for you in terms of actual flourishing as a Christian? Like all the different kinds of, uh, chewy, gritty questions to ask in a nice way.
1: Yeah, to bring out those uh, those ideas, to see what they actually think and believe
0: Yeah, and feel. A lot of Christians will assume that their kids are Christ- uh, yeah, Christians because when they're little, they pray the prayer, and then they think, oh, we're good. Yeah, we're done. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes a little kid doesn't really understand, and <clears throat> so we need to be careful that we don't assume it, but that instead we still work as if They are not yet Christians. We still have to put all the campfire wood in place. Yeah. The second one he talked about was that we need to have homes filled with grace, Hmm. that we need to be quick to forgive each other and we need to bear with each other. We need to apologize. We need to have homes where you can make mistakes and still be loved no matter what. Yeah,
1: because that breaks down barriers, right? No matter what we've, as we've messed up things, um, if we can be willing to admit when we've messed up and ask forgiveness from our kids and all kinds of stuff, just the the walls go down and they realize, oh yeah, dad messes up, mom messes up. It's okay if I mess up, we can figure this out together.
0: This is a significant problem that I face regularly with families that come to meet with me. Because what happens is Christian parents love their kids, but when their kids disobey and choose their own rebellious path, parents want to cut off relationship with them. And instead, I think that's when we really dig into relationship with them. That's where we need to say, I love you no matter what. And I'm going to keep praying for you. And I'm going to keep taking you out for coffee and inviting you over for dinners. And I'm going to still keep sending you care packages. I'm going to still keep a relationship, even if you're choosing to go your own rebellious direction. I am going to love you no matter what. I think that's a home filled with grace. Yeah. Yeah, not a home that is so graceless and strict and stingy and it makes people feel they like never miss the mark or never yeah. hit the mark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think
1: another piece of that is being willing to share our own failures. Yeah. As parents, like not as parents, but say, when I was six years old, this is something I did when I was this is the share your own mistakes, the way you've messed up the good things that have happened, the bad things. But the more people our kids can see us as humans in their stage and age of life and realize the things that kind of we learned from, I think the more they realize, okay, yeah, I will mess up, too. My mom did. My dad did. and, And we can move forward in that.
0: Yeah, like when I said before about having this cold heart when I was a teenager, and when I share that with my kids and I share how it was this way, and yet God at some point changed my heart and you could see the difference in my life, that gives them hope that, okay... God can change you. He can change me. He can change my friends. Yeah. You weren't always the pastor. Yeah. Right? That's huge for my kids to realize like, I am, yes, I have the title of pastor, but I'm still a sinner. And I was a sinner, and I'm still a sinner. It just looks different yeah. along the way. Yeah. I know it's amazing how much
1: relief that gives to people, Mm -hmm. even this last week, if you weren't in church, but Pastor Jeff told a story on himself and he kind of embarrassed himself in telling the story, but he knew that he did that willingly because he wants people to feel like, okay, yes, we all need forgiveness. Mm -hmm. We all need grace. I needed it. And so I'm going to extend it to you. And I think the more we can tell stories on ourselves that way and just be okay with the fact that we don't have to put up the perfect image. no. And we're we're co-sinners walking alongside each other, trying to follow God better. It's just encouraging to people. It allows
0: people to get their guard down and just to be part of the team. Yeah, absolutely. The third one that Matt said is to focus on the heart. And we talked about that before, that it's good to think of the externals and how can you put some things in place to solve some of the external issues, like filters on your computer, like boundaries in life, that kind of thing. but. The key issue is the heart focusing on the heart. So asking questions that get to the heart of what's going on? How come you feel anxious about this? How come you feel angry and irritated? What's going on? How come you're um, you seem impatient with your friends? Like what's going on in the heart yeah. of your kids? Yeah. And the last one he said that we should prepare our kids for suffering, yeah because what happens often is that Christian parents, At least here in Abbotsford, we tend to have, you know, a lot of families that are two parent families and we have a decent income and they're in decent schools and life is fairly smooth and we try to smooth all the edges. So if you're having a problem with a friend, the parents will sort it out. Don't let the kids sort it out. And if you're having trouble with a teacher, the parent will go in and rescue the kid. And if there's an assignment that's late, the parent will rush it to school because they don't want to have any lumps and bumps for their kids. They want to make life really smooth. But then the problem is that suffering always hits at some point, And then they go, what do you mean? Life isn't as picture perfect yeah. as it is. And that's God's fault now. Yeah. And because they've
1: always kind of equated, well, we live this good Christian life. And so suffering yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah. And so as soon as suffering does enter, then they start questioning everything about their faith. Yeah. And their, what they've believed before and what their family's taught them. That just doesn't make sense in their mind anymore. Yeah. Whereas if we let them know that suffering is part of everyday life and we'll walk through it, they're, then they're equipped. They yeah. have the right armor to walk into the battle. If we don't equip them and talk about suffering, they're walking into World War II without a gun or an army. Like yeah. they don't have the equipment that they need to walk yeah. through what life is actually going to throw them. Yeah. And so I think the more we can equip them to the realities, the, w- the better they'll walk through a situation.
0: And part of that is exposing them to lots of different people. Yeah. Lots of different circumstances so that they realize some people are dealing with cancer. Some are in wheelchairs. Some are dealing with poor finance, like low finances. They are poor and they are struggling. And how can we be generous? And some people are dealing with really boring uh, jobs and things like that. And how can we see that people are dealing with all kinds of issues in our circles, in our churches, and in our communities, and not just isolate them and put them in a nice little box where everybody is good and happy and doing the same thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I found for myself, like, I don't know, they probably have some of these, I think, for kids, but reading biographies of other people Mm. and just seeing... Mm -hmm other people that have walked this journey of life before and seeing how they've persevered through different things and different yeah. struggles, right? It's a helpful thing to be reminded, oh yeah, other people have done this and this is how they did it. And it's is an awareness piece that even if our bubble seems a little bit safe, that there, that it might not always be that way.
0: Yeah. And it's not wrong to help your children out and to care for them and maybe solve some of the lumps and bumps. It's not wrong necessarily, but maybe think You know, are you rescuing them when they shouldn't be rescued? Should this be something that they have to struggle with? So, like, if your kid comes home and they're really upset by how they've been treated by a boss or uh, a child in their class or a neighbor you know, we don't necessarily have to immediately solve it. We can sit with them and have them cry and be upset and realize that, yeah, in the midst of this, we'll pray about it. In the midst of this, we will care for each other. We will support each other that this is part of everyday life. Yeah, That really grabbed me when he talked about that. Yeah. And
1: I think what you just said there is another part of how we can stack wood is when our kids come to us with problems, sitting down and praying with them about Mm -hmm. it because then we're acknowledging that we think God has an answer for them and that He's the one we bring our problems to. We're modeling it for them and I think I've tried to do that more and more lately just because I've been convicted about that that God's the one that's going to solve the problem and so when my When my daughter or son comes to me, one of the first things I say, "Well, let's pray about it," and then after that, we go into problem-solving mode. But I think as parents, that's part of stacking the wood is modeling that actually we think God can intervene here, that He has a power to do so that He can give us the wisdom that we need. Yeah, that's part of stacking the wood.
0: Yeah, and when I pray with my kids too, it isn't always praying that it will be the solution that they want. It's praying that in the midst of it, they will be kind and patient with their coworkers. Praying for the heart. (laughs) Praying for the heart that they will be compassionate. (laughs) Towards others, that they, Jesus will shine through them, that even if they don't get the shift off that they need or the work is boring that day or whatever. It's like, but that we would still act as Christians in a way that honors God that in the midst of our God. day. Yeah, yeah, that we would glorify God. Because that's more important. The heart issue is more important yeah. than actually the sun is shining for our picnic. It's like, yeah. well, if it rains, then we would still be not grumbly and horrible to the others around <laughs> us. And that we'd figure yeah. out a way to make the best of it. Right, yeah. That, that is more the issue than the external situation. yeah.
1: When I think of um, the whole idea of stacking wood, this uh, passage from Deuteronomy 6 always comes to mind. It's um, the passage that Pastor Robin uses, I know, in her child dedication classes. Uh, and it's, um, it's the passage is called The Greatest Commandment, but it's basically um, Moses summarizing a whole bunch of things for, Isra- for Israel. But it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And the picture that that paints is just a fact that faith is with us everywhere. And we're talking about it with our kids wherever we are in whatever situation, not in a way that's legalistic, but we're just as they come home from school with an assignment, we're saying, oh, and how does this interact with what you know about God or what Mm -hmm. you're taught at church or as they're watching TV Mm -hmm. or as you come across something when you're driving down the road, a billboard or a... It's just that everyday conversation. Mm-hmm. And I saw such a beautiful picture of it this last Sunday at baptism. I was just walking around talking to different people and there was a dad sitting there with his two girls beside him. And um, he was walking through the baptism booklet with them and the whole the first page talks about why we do baptism. And he was sitting there with his kids huh. explaining the whole baptism process and what we do and why it sim- what it symbolizes. And I thought, this is perfect, this is beautiful. This yeah. is a picture of a dad sitting with his girls just explaining God's Word to them and yeah. explaining the Christianity and that's what we're supposed to do as parents. Yeah.
0: And when your kids are watching a show or they've read a YouTube or, or read an article or watched a YouTube video, it's, it's asking them, what are you learning from this? What's the cultural message? Yeah. And how does this line up with the Bible? And what do your friends think? And trying to keep those two things in mind. What's the cultural message? But what does the Bible say? Which way do we want to go? Yeah. I'm going with God. Is yeah. what, this uh, is my way. This is yeah. my way. I would love you to go there, but only God can make that happen. Yeah. When I was listening to the sermon, I was also thinking beyond parenting. I'm thinking in our lives, yeah. how do we prepare the hearts and minds of our coworkers, our neighbors, our extended family? How yeah. can we stack the wood so that if and when God lights the fire, it catches and stays lit? And it was really convicting to me. So I was kind of thinking on two levels as I'm listening to the sermon about, oh, am I stacking the wood well for the other people in my life? Yeah. Am I drawing them closer to God Mm -hmm. or pushing them further away by the way I'm interacting with them? Yeah. Yeah. And for example, in our neighborhood, we live on a cul-de-sac, and summer is the time when we can interact with our neighbors because, of course, in the rainy months, everybody just goes straight into their garage and they're gone. But now it's like, oh, am I taking that extra moment when someone is out mowing their lawn to go and say hi? That's, That's preparing the wood to have that good foundation of a friendliness and a conversation. Am I staying a little longer at church after the service or before the service? Am I interacting well with the people around me? Yeah. So... Yeah. Those are the kinds of things that I was thinking.
1: I know. So it's something we can, yeah, like we said at the beginning, it's not just a parenting piece. Mm-mm. It's it's uh, something we can think about with every relationship that we have at work. Are we speaking well about our coworkers yeah. in a way that shows that we have integrity? Are we speaking, are we sharing that we were at church on the weekend? Are yeah. we, like, What are the pieces that we're adding to a conversation? Yeah.
0: When you go to a family gathering this summer, are you offering to bring bring food? Are you helping to set up and clean up? Are you involved in the conversation? Are you being kind and compassionate towards the people that are there? I think those are ways that we help to stack the wood to prepare them for faith.
1: Yeah. Or keep the wood burning.
0: Yeah. Or keep the (laughs) wood burning. Yeah, it's true. Because if people
1: come into our churches and they feel that we're cold and unwelcoming and we don't talk to them, and then we're
0: kind of dousing fire or water on that flame. I know. Yeah. That was very convicting because I thought, oh, I don't always do a great job. So I'm praying about it and working on it and trying to see with everybody else's help how I can keep preparing the wood around me. Yeah. Or like you said, keep the fire going. Yeah. Well, why don't we pray for our listeners? Sure. Okay. Lord, I love this topic and I love your word. Crystal and I both do. We pray, Lord, that your word would come alive in the people that are listening, that they would love you more and out of that they would love others more. We pray that we would be preparing the wood so that, Lord, you can provide the fire or so that you can keep the fire going. Lord, help us as your people to be watchful for those around us. Mm -hmm. We thank you that um, you're helping us in this. It's not only my own effort or Crystal's own effort, but this is you, Lord, with the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask all these things in your name, amen. Amen. Oh, 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 oh,